Welcome to the Revolution Church Podcast. Before we begin, we'd like to remind you that our ministry is supported 100% by listeners like you. To make your 100% tax-deductible donation today, please visit revolutionchurch.com donate. You can also learn more by clicking the donate section on the website. Well, happy Easter to all the folks who are here and all the folks who are listening online. Thank you. Uh, always glad to have everyone participating. Um, so it's Easter, and I'm going to kind of cover a few things here. Um, one of the things is uh, I like to start with the crucifixion. Just I know we're celebrating resurrection, but I want to start with that. Be in Mark fifteen thirty three. When it was noon, the darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. At three o'clock, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, "Eli, Eloi, lama sabachthani," which means, "My God, My God, why have you forsaken me?" Just this; these words alone are pretty amazing. Because God, if Jesus is God and the Son of God, and you have the Trinity, which is which is uh, sometimes hard to understand, but God has forsaken God. Christ feels abandoned. It's almost like as close as I guess you could say God becoming an atheist in that moment of being forsaken. Why are you? Where are you? Why have you left me? Um, what a what what would seem like such a horrible hollow moment when some of the bystanders heard this they said listen to him he's calling for Elijah and someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine and put it on a stick and gave it to him to drink saying wait let us see whether Elijah will come to take him down um, a lot of people, too, felt like maybe Judas' idea was is by rushing, that Judas might have not been so bad that Jesus was trying to rush the kingdom of God by betraying Jesus, thinking that if Jesus was forced, hand was forced, that he would bring in the kingdom of God or that he would be rescued off from the cross. And so a lot of people were saying, well, let's see if he's rescued from the cross. Um, wait, let's see whether Elijah will come and take him down. Then Jesus gave a loud cry and breathed his last, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Now when the centron who stood facing him saw that was what he saw that in this way, he breathed his last, and he said, Truly this man was God's son. There are also women looking on from a distance among them were Mary, Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James, the younger, and of Joseus and Solomon, they used to follow him and provide for him when he was in Galilee. And there were many other women who had come up with him to Jerusalem. I think it's beautiful that it shows that the people who stuck with him and didn't abandon him were the women. 
you know, and also we get to see that his ministry was mostly financed by women, you know. Um, people often try to use the Bible as, as say that women are less than or shouldn't be heard or shouldn't do that, but without women, Jesus had no support. His real support was with women. Those who did not abandon him was with women. Jumping back for a second, though, it says that Jesus gave a loud cry and breathed his last. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Now, not the, cur- the curtain was quite large and quite thick. So it's quite amazing that this curtain is torn. But th- what's even more amazing is that this curtain represented a separation between man and God. And so you had the Holy of Holies. And the priests would tie their would have to tie a rope around their leg when they went back there in case they were killed by not being pure enough. So what happens is, is this curtain's torn and there's nothing behind it. Not all the sunglasses that we've lost or all the other socks. <laughs> Probably a big scab from sacrifices. <laughs> but besides that, there's nothing back there. And I think what this shows us is that Man's concept was that we were separated from God. But when it rips and you see nothing back there, it's showing, you know, there was no God gas, you know, that we were never separated from God, but Christ had to come and show us that and show us that we've always been one with God. We've always, God has always been with us. And Jesus shows that through this sacrifice, through his death, and through that moment. And it's always been something that's really stuck out to me is that the that separation is 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 done it is you know in other other translations where Jesus says it is finished you know that idea of separation between man and God it is finished um so interesting i was interested to see what since today is about the resurrection. And, I, and, I, and I, this is one of the questions I wanted to ask, too. Would we still be talking about Jesus without the resurrection? If Jesus died and there was no resurrection story, because uh, resurrection is a, it's a loaded belief system. Some people believe it's literal. Some people believe it was, you know... A dream. Some people believe it was a metaphor. Um, most Christians believe it's a necessity to believe, or you're not a Christian. You've got all this kind of baggage. But I guess my question is: is without the resurrection, would we still be talking about Jesus, or would he have just been one of many so-called messiahs who was martyred or killed on a cross? Because here we are, what, 2,000 years later, and it's still the biggest religion. So there's actually a book out right now about how Christianity survived. I want to read it. It's by Bart Ehrman, who's kind of a controversial theologian um, because he's an atheist theologian, but he had wrote a book about it. He's pretty, pretty smart, though, so, you know. And I like it, too, when my theologians don't have dogs in the fight anymore. He might have a little bit of a chip on his shoulder, but still, I like that. 
I like edgy. <laughs> um, but what I wanted to look at it with the resurrection is I wanted to see how did people of the time handle that? How did they see the resurrection? Um, one of the things that I was reading this book by uh, Rowan Williams, The Sign of the Sacrifice, about, about the crucifixion, he says, On the cross, God's love just is what it is, and it is valid and world-changing and earth-shattering, even though at the moment what it means in the world's terms is failure, terror, and death. Because to be a crucified Christ, to be your failure, to be beat like a common criminal. I mean, if we were to really, I mean, wearing crosses and uh, to people back then would have been like wearing a noose, or us wearing electric chairs, or us wearing you know that type of thing. Yeah, I mean, one of the some of the first, you know. Christ Christians were mocked for for following a crucified god. It was it was a joke to a lot of people. It was and so people had to deal with that. And what was it like for them in their time to deal with that? So I wanted to look at Paul because Paul kind of gives us our closest look to that because the gospels came much later. Um and so did Acts, even though Acts we'll look at a little bit, I think. Yeah, we'll look a little bit at Acts. But Romans 6, 7, 11, my favorite store. Um, this thing on. That was a great joke. Seven eleven. no? Anybody? Yeah, okay. That's all right. Um... But this is what Paul had to say about the crucifixion and the resurrection. For whoever has died is freed from sin. But if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. You know, I'm going to put on my reading glasses, folks. Forever has died is free from sin, but if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God, so that you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Paul goes on to say, Therefore do not let sin exercise dominion in your moral bodies to make you obey the, your passions. No longer present your members as sin instruments of wickedness, but present yourself to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and present your members to God as an instrument of righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. So for Paul, this was a big deal. We, we, we're no longer under sin. The resurrection made that clear to Paul, that we live in Christ, that Christ has set us free from sin. We have died with Christ, and we believe that we will also live with him. 
Um, in First Corinthians. Do, 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 15. First Corinthians 15, 3. This one's where we got to buckle in. So if you've got, got your spiritual buckle, buckle in. Buckle up. It's about to get wild. Reading glasses, by the way. You have to do this to see people because you can't see anything from distance. <laughs> so it's not just for being pompous. First um, Corinthians fifteen three. For I hand, for I handed on to you the, for I handed on to you the first important importance of what I turn had received that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scripture and that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scripture and that he appeared to Cephas then to the twelve then he appeared more than five hundred brothers and sisters and one time most of whom are still alive though some have died Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one of the ultimate, last of all, as to one of the ultimately born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unfit to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace towards me has not been in vain. Isn't that good news? Because Paul was a Christian killer. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then I was whether then it was I or they, so we proclaim, and so you have come to believe. Now one of the things I want to talk about when realize is that so many, uh, I, I was thinking about like, what does Paul say about the resurrection? And we're reading a little bit about that. But I've always thought Paul was more of a crucifixion guy. You know, Christ crucified. And so when I started thinking about, you know, he's always like, Jesus died this, and you know, Jesus didn't die in vain in the death of Christ, and we've been washed with the blood of, you know, I mean, Paul is all big crucifixion guy. Not a big, re- you know, I've ever thought of him as a big resurrection guy. And... um so it took me a while to search for some of this stuff, but Paul is a resurrection guy. And it made me really happy to, to see that. Um, because the resurrection, like I said, is a, a loaded belief system. Especially now today when we have so many people deconstructing their belief system and having a hard time believing in someone rising from the dead. Even Christ. I mean, that's one thing I deal with a lot of people now is that that's their struggle as a literal resurrection. That and the virgin birth, and Adam and Eve. <laughs> so those are the three. You know, those are three things that, and I don't believe Adam and Eve is a literal story. Um, but I, I hold on to the resurrection. There's something beautiful to it for me that I hold on to, and and believe in, 
And again, I ask the question, would we be still talking about Jesus without a resurrection? And that's for for you to decide. Now, if Christ proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our proclamation has been in vain, and your faith has been in vain. Do you understand? I mean, Paul, this was vital. And I'm very Paulinian. You know, and the, the resurrection was vital to Paul. It was very important to Paul. You know, in resurrection for a lot of us, we need it in our lives. We every day we we fail, we, we lose things, we learn from our failures, and we had a kind of a metaphor of of resurrection in our own lives, from from failure to to learning to have success. And if Christ has not been raised, then our proclamation has been in vain, and your faith has been in vain. So, to Paul, this is a—it's like a no. There's no game there. I mean, there's no option there. He's saying, if without resurrection, Christ's death is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we've testified of God that He has raised Christ, whom He did not raise. If it is true that He's that the dead are not raised, for the dead are not raised then Christ has not been raised. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have died in Christ have perished. If for this life only we have hoped in Christ, we are the people most to be pitied. Does that make sense? Do you hear that? Or do I need to read it again? You want to read it again, sir? For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has been raised. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins, then those also who have died in Christ have perished. If for the life only we have hoped in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. So Paul really believes in the resurrection of the dead. Paul really believes in the resurrection of Christ. This is a great, important thing. He's saying without it, we're, we're, we're not there. So this is a challenge. This is a challenge to me. This is a challenge to you to really look at the resurrection and take it seriously and, and maybe deconstruct it, maybe work through it. But it's something that's very important. It's something, you know, I just, nowadays I hear a lot of people just be like, well, I just think it's metaphor. But for Paul, it wasn't metaphor. For Paul, it was literal. For Paul, it was a no, there was no compromise there. There was no, (laughs) it was just what it is what it was. But in fact, ah, so happy you guys are here. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have died. For since death came through human being, the resurrection of the dead has also come through human beings. For all die in Adam, 
So all will be made alive in Christ. You see that? But each in his own order, Christ the first fruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. Then come the end when the hands over the kingdom to God the Father. After he has destroyed every ruler and every authority and power, for he must reign until he has put all the enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when it says all things are put under subjection, it's a plan that this does not include the one who put all things in subjection under him. When all things are subject to him, when the Son himself will also be subjected to the one who put all things in subjection under him, so that God may be all in all. So I'm going to read 22 again. For we all, as all die in Adam, so we all be made alive in Christ. But each of his own order, Christ is the first fruits in his coming to those who belong to Christ. You know, this is a non-negotiator for Paul. I keep saying that, but it's just something that's important, I think, to keep looking at. Can we stretch ourselves far enough to believe in a resurrection? Can we stretch ourselves to believe in a little resurrection? Now, it's easy when we've been raised our whole lives to believe it. And then we hear something like, then you hear something like um, Mormons. And you go, oh, they believe in, the man came down with plates and saw this stuff. Isn't that crazy? You know, but at the same time, it's like, we believe that this carpenter guy came around and was, you know, the son of God and got killed and raised people from the dead and then he rose himself from the dead. I mean, that's pretty crazy. So, it requires faith. And it requires us to look at that in, in, in a, a different way. It's not, you know, it's easy just to take it for granted. And so what I'm asking you to do today is to really think about it, really wrestle with it. Really think, is this my faith? Is this a, a vital part of my faith? Is the resurrection a vital part of what I believe? Can I accept the resurrection? I know a lot of folks who listen online are really deep into deconstruction right now and, and, and wrestling with this. And I'm asking you, can, what can you do with the resurrection? Matter of fact, if, if you get a chance and you're listening to this, go on to the Revolution Facebook or the Twitter and share what are your thoughts, what your struggles are with this. I'd love to hear it. So that's what Paul had to say. Oh, oh, I'm not done. And it's recorded Paul's sermon, one of Paul's sermons in Acts 28, or Acts, sorry, Acts 17, 28. 32. For in him we, for in him we live and move and have our being, as if some of your own poets have said, for we too are his offsprings. Since we, sorry, uh, 
Since we are God's offsprings, we ought not to think that the deity is like gold or silver or stone or an image formed by the art of imagination of mortals. While God has overlooked the times of human ignorance, now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which we will have a world judged in righteousness by a man whom he has said appointed. And this has given us the assurance all by raising him from the dead. You understand? He's saying this, this is the reason. I mean, while God has overlooked the times of human ignorance and now it's all because he's raised Jesus from the dead. Um, 32 says, when, the, when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some scoffed. But others said, we will hear you again about this. At that point, Paul left them. So Paul taught the resurrection, very literally. You know, just a side note is, I am do not like doing sermons that are on holidays. <laughs> I don't like doing sermons when it's like, it's Christmas, you're going to do your Christmas sermon. It's Easter, you're going to do an Easter sermon. So that's why I've tried to do something a little bit different, a little bit unique, and maybe somewhat confusing, but that's okay. We record it so you can go back and listen to it. (laughs) Um, So that's what Paul said. Let's see what Mark says. Back to the book of Mark. Now, the reason I like Mark is because Mark is the earliest gospel. Agreed by most scholars, it's the earliest gospel. And this is, this is the story of the resurrection. In Mark, which strangely enough is not a lot of frills. It's really vague. I like this because it's so vague. Um, and John and things like that, you get all these elaborate stories. You know, I mean, we have like three or four different versions of the resurrection story. It's like, these people found them. No, these people found, you know. And we were like, oh, there's no discrepancies in the Bible. I'm like, man, but we've got these weird resurrection stories, you know. And that's other stuff we've got to wrestle with. And that's okay. It's, it's, it, we're, we're supposed to wrestle. That's, that's, that was part of Judaism. That was part of the scriptures as you found things and you found words and you looked at the different meanings and you wrestled with them, you know. And you go, ah, what does this mean? I mean, in and you sat down and then you got into communion and you, with one another and you debated these things and you argued these things and it was okay and no one got thrown out because they had different belief systems or things like that. You know, you challenged each other. It was when we started getting these councils, you know, 100 years afterwards is where it started people getting, started getting called heretics and then being put to death because they were heretics or, you know, excommunicated. 
But before, this was stuff that we were able to argue about and go through and push and push and, and, and wrestle with. So let's look at Mark 16, 1 through, uh, 1 through 8. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Salome bought spices so that they might go and uh, bought spices so they might go and anoint him. And very early on in the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. They had been saying to one another, who will roll the stone for us from the entrance to the tomb? When they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had already been rolled back. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in white robes sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. But what he said to them, do not be alarmed. You are looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has been raised. He is not here. Look there in the place they laid him. But go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. So they went out and fled from the tomb, for for terror and amazement had seized them, and they were said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. So most likely that guy sitting by the tomb was an angel or a God's messenger, and they were a little bit freaked out. I know if I saw an angel sitting in a tomb, I might be a little freaked out. Um, goes on to say, And all that had been commanded them, they told briefly those around them, Peter, and afterwards Jesus himself sent out th- through them the east to the west, sacred and imperishable proclamation of eternal salvation. Now that's the ending, the short ending of Mark. That's it. That's your resurrection story. In the earliest translations of, of, of Mark, in the earliest transcripts of Mark, that's it. That's all you get. <laughs> but luckily, we have the second edition. Um... It goes, now after he rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, from whom he cast out seven demons. She went out and told those who had been with him while they were mourning and weeping, but when they heard that he was alive and he had been seen by her, they would not believe it. Now there's a reason they didn't believe it. It's because women weren't seen as... as, uh, Proper witnesses. I always thought that was kind of cool because it's writing this down, it's like, yeah, women were the ones who found him, saw it, and, and started this thing. And uh, to say that was pretty strong. And for a lot of people to read that, they'd be like, oh, I don't know, I can't take that. But that's the, that's the resurrection story there. Not not you know, not glamorous, nothing like that. But that Jesus was had 
had disappeared. Now, what I want to talk about and end with is doubt. Our doubt of dealing with... Our, you know, I mean, do any of you ever go sometimes, was this just something I was raised with? If I was born in another country somewhere else, would I believe something else? You know, am I just a just a product of America or just a product of my parents who took me to Sunday school every day and did those things? It's tough, you know, and so those doubts come in and 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 play play their part. But you know what? There's room for doubt. What? Yes, there is room for doubt, my brothers and sisters. Hallelujah. John, the book of John, John 20, 24. This is probably one of my favorite post-resurrection stories. But Thomas, who is called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the marks and the nails in his hands and put my finger in the marks of the nails and the hands in his side, I will not believe. So, so often for some of us, we need, we want more proof. You know, it's, it's hard to just take it for face value or word value. And I think doubt is something that it's important to deal with. And I think this story's in there to let us know that it's okay to doubt. That doubt is part of faith. Um, Tillich, Paul Tillich said that doubt is not the opposite of ta- faith, but an element of faith. It's built into faith. Otherwise, it would be certainty. Right? But doubt's built in it. Hope. When you hope for something... There's a little bit of doubt in hope because you don't know, but you're hoping. And faith is like hope. You know, you have that faith and you go, oh, I hope. But I don't know completely. And here we see that, that, that Thomas had that. It goes on to say that a week later, his disciples were again with the house and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were shut, Jesus came and stood amongst them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your fingers here and see my hands. Reach out your hands and put it in my side. Do not doubt, but believe. Thomas answered him, my Lord, my God. Jesus said to him, have you been believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. And it says, blessed those who have seen, have not seen but believe. But I think it doesn't discredit that those who have doubt. You know, it's. I think it shows that Jesus sometimes is willing to go the extra mile to help us who struggle with doubt and that that tension is something that is a part of, of faith. Um, that's what I've got for Resurrection Sunday, um, Easter Sunday.
But today I wanted to end with I think I've ended five times now. Again, what I want to close with, and in closing, it's the old pastor trick. I'm taking a class on Jesus right now, and it's extremely fascinating. We really haven't gotten to the resurrection all that much yet, but it is a very fascinating class. I was kind of bummed because it was spring break, so we missed the class, and I was kind of hoping that I could get a little bit more juice for my sermon. Um... So today, um, we're going to take the Lord's Supper. Um, We seem to do it every Easter. For those of you who are listening online, if you want to pause and go get some Wonder Bread and maybe some grape juice or wine or whatever you have around, today is... I had to run to the to the gas station to get the sacraments because the stores were closed. So that's how we do our our celebration of uh, remembering Christ. But um, if you would, I'm going to pass out the sacraments and... If, or you know, if you just come up, we can give you we can do that, and then I'll I'll we'll 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 take communion together, and then we'll be dismissed. So, please feel free to come up. Don't be shy. Everyone is welcome at this table. There is no secret. You know, I always don't like it when people say, and if you're not ready for for it, then you're going to be cursed. I don't believe that. No. So this is my blood. My flesh broken for you. While they were eating, he took a loaf of bread, and after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to them and said, Take this, this is my body. Then he took his cup, and after giving them thanks, 
He gave it to them, all of them, and drank from it and said to them, This is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many. Truly I tell you, I will never again drink of the fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. We do this in remembrance of the sacrifice that Christ has made for us. Lord, I thank you for all the folks who are here today. I thank you for all the online listeners. I thank you for the opportunity to be able to do this and celebrate your life, death, and resurrection. Help us to continue to wrestle and struggle with who you are and to love one another and to see the significance of what it is to live a new life in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, everyone, for listening to Revolution today. Um, as always, we're a nonprofit, and if you like what we're doing, um, you can support us by making donations. But ultimately, we'd rather have your ears than your money. So thank you so much. This is Revolution Church.